Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. It's day two of Judge Brett Kavanaugh's hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senators will determine whether or not he becomes the next Supreme Court justice. Um, During the lunch break today, we thought we would take a few minutes and talk about Judge Kavanaugh's record on civil liberties and engage with you about what you've been hearing this morning. And uh, I'm Jerome McDonald, and I normally host Worldview here, but I'm happy to talk about with the Supreme Court with you and uh, hear what stood out to you about the hearings today. I'm also more curious more broadly about what you're feeling about the Supreme Court. And we heard a lot about judicial independence in the proceeding. I've been struck by the amount of things I've been reading that are resigned to the idea that after Justice Kennedy's swing vote is gone, the Supreme Court's going to be a purely partisan branch of government. We heard a lot about Judge Kavanaugh's uh, partisan life in Senator Leahy's testimony. Lindsey Graham was just pondering the natural ways of politics in the Supreme Court. And of course, you expect someone to be partisan when they're appointed by the president. Um, Dana Milback in the Washington Post wrote that Kavanaugh may not be the most conservative member of the court, but his background suggests he would be the most partisan. And I'm worried about if the upshot of this is disillusionment. And I saw a C-SPAN poll that says 82 percent of people think that court appointments were important when they vote. And 69 percent say they're following the news about this nomination closely. But only 35 percent of the respondents could correctly name Kavanaugh. And nearly a quarter say that they have no opinion about this nomination. So I'm worried about disillusionment in our democracy. And if you have some thoughts about this, I'd like to hear what you're thinking. The phone number is 312-923-9239. 312-923-9239. We're going to talk about um, some of the things we've been hearing. First with Daniel Hemmel. He's an assistant professor of law at the University of Chicago Law School. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. I wonder, are you thinking about uh, the future of the Supreme Court and, and thinking, well, this is going to be a uh, institution that is just going to be reliably conservative in the future. And uh, this seems to be you know, provoking so much anger. There's uh, these protesters being dragged out. Uh, what do we have to look forward to here? I think the Supreme Court has been a conservative institution for some time. Uh, Justice Kennedy had ceased to be a swing vote in his last year on the court. There was not a single decision in which he was the fifth vote joining the four liberals in his last term on the court. And on a wide range of issues, the Supreme Court has moved to the right over the last several decades. I think some people will react with disillusionment to today's hearing, to this week's events. Uh, A little bit of disillusionment might be for the better. Uh, It's important to remind voters that the Supreme Court is a political institution. It has always and will always be a political institution. And I think the Democrats in the Senate have done a good job of emphasizing that fact with help from protesters. Are are we seeing something, though, where the lifetime appointment is, you know, it used to mean judicial independence, and there's a lot of verbiage about judicial independence, but it doesn't really mean that anymore. That's not how anybody's going to vote. I think we will still see instances in which Republican-appointed justices vote against the Trump administration, just as we've seen the current Republican-appointed justices on the court play against type in a few cases. Chief Justice Roberts voting to uphold the Affordable Care Act being one of the most notable examples. Um, I also think that 
uh, of all the disillusionment and the partisanship that is happening now, it seems to me small relative to Bush versus Gore. Bush versus Gore was a purely partisan decision and the Supreme Court ultimately recovered from that. So I think it will recover from this too. Do you think the Merrick Garlic, uh, Merrick Garland situation created any kind of new vibe and precedent there? Because uh, we certainly heard Lindsey Graham go off on, oh gosh, you know, I was, you know, when I voted for Sotomayor, I was, uh, you know, a nonpartisan guy. Now, and he completely glosses over uh, the Merrick Garland thing as if it never happened. Right. Uh there was hypocrisy dripping off of uh, Senator Graham's brow as he spoke about the various Democratic appointed judges who he voted to confirm, not saying anything about the Democratic appointed uh, potential Supreme Court justice uh, whose vote he and other Republicans would not uh, allow to come to the fore. Um, to some extent, we're seeing more uh, attention to the court now than we have uh, in times past. We'll probably see the court more of a voting issue uh, in the next few rounds than it was in the last few rounds. Again, I'm not sure if that's a bad thing, either for our democracy or for the institution. Let's take a few phone calls. The number is 312-923-9239. And Richard, you're on WBEZ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just had a question. Why doesn't he, the, one of the senators asked him, would he uh, judge a case if he didn't have all the information and would he postpone it so that he could get that information and read it so that he could turn around and say to the senators, you know what, let's put this off for two weeks so you can read everything that you've got and why he's not doing that or why one of the senators isn't saying to him, would you do this or would you judge a case? if you didn't have all the information. All right. So you think the Democrats have a good point about the documents is what you're saying? Uh, Yes, they do. They should have access to all the information that they need to make an informed decision. I mean, he wouldn't make a judge uh, a guilty or innocent verdict without all the information that was available to him. If 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 the attorney was holding it back, they'd have an issue. Uh, Daniel, what do you think about the document issue? Because Senator Leahy spent some time dancing around, uh, spent almost all his time dancing around whether stolen information from his office had gone into Brett's hands and he had used it in previous uh, confirmation hearings for judicial nominees. Um, That that seems pretty serious. Uh, How do you feel about the documents? I think uh, it is a travesty that so many documents have not been available, made available to the Judiciary Committee uh, and 40,000 pages were dumped on the Judiciary Committee hours before hearings began. I think the caller's suggestion is a fantastic one. I hope Sem- uh, Senate Democratic Judiciary Committee staffers are listening right now uh, and ask him after the break, uh, would you judge a case where you didn't have all the facts? Um, but we also can anticipate what his response would be, uh, which is one, no, uh, and two, the relevant facts here are really not the documents that he touched while he was staff secretary to President Bush, but his 10,000 pages of decisions as a D.C. uh, circuit court judge. Um, And uh, ultimately, uh, uh, he would likely remind the country uh, that the standard for confirmation is different from uh, the standard in a criminal trial or a civil proceeding. Do you think that there is more 
we should know about. And people are murky about his role in the, the listening, the mass listening, and the torture situations. There's advice he gave that would seem to be relevant to his nomination. Yes, I think uh, we do deserve to know more about the uh, his involvement in warrantless surveillance programs in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. It was hard to follow the back and forth between Senator Leahy and Senator uh, Grassley to figure out whether it was really Leahy's fault for not having put a document request before the Senate Judiciary Committee chair uh, or whether Grassley was withholding uh, something. I do have to say that Kavanaugh's response that there were so many uh, warrantless surveillance programs that I'm not sure which one you were talking about uh, was not one that uh, made the civil libertarians in the audience uh, uh, feel particularly good. Christine Lucas is the executive vice president of policy and governmental affairs at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, and she was at the is at the Kavanaugh hearings and joins us now by phone. Thanks for joining us, Christine. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I got, I got to ask you, since you're in the room and uh, we're all watching on television as people uh, get dragged from the hearing room and shout things out and sometimes we can't tell what they're saying and it, um, it sometimes seems to bother the, the nominee or the, the senator in doing the questioning. What, what's it like there? Is this a, a, a vibe different than anything we've seen before? Yes, this is completely different than what I have seen working on the past six uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearings before this one. In the room, um, I think it, it's even louder than if you're just watching on C-SPAN because the protesters who are getting arrested yesterday, I think there were more than 70 who got arrested, they uh, are interrupting certainly the, the feeling in the room, but also there were many times yesterday where I could not hear what a senator was saying because of the of the impassioned people exercising their First Amendment rights in the hearing room. So uh, I, I would no, say yesterday is no, like no opening day I've ever seen. Now, Senator Grassley seemed to say that they were all coordinated by the Democrats and that, um, you know, Dick Durbin is running them. And I heard some one woman get up and say something about uh, Dick Durbin didn't, isn't telling me what to do. Or what, what, how do you, what's, are the Democrats running these people? I think that's absurd. I think people have come in from all over the country because they know what's at stake. They know that this is the most consequential Supreme Court vacancy in a generation. I do not think senators are trying to, nor do they have the power to control, you know, the people who are coming in and literally putting their bodies on the line to get arrested uh, to make the point of what's at stake with this Supreme Court vacancy. I just think that's silly. I worked in the, in the Senate for years. Never in my experience in the Senate did, you know, Senator Leahy or any other senator that I know of call on people to come in and protest. That's just not how this works. All right. And, but is somebody coordinating this effort? Because 70 people in one day, that seems like some kind of coordinated effort. Oh, there's a there's a broad range of civil rights organizations who are working uh, to do daily rallies, to do protests, to do all sorts of things. I don't think it's any one organization, and I certainly don't think it's led by Senate Democrats. But I think you can see, you know, whether you go on Twitter or you look at the daily rallies 
that I believe are at 6 p.m. each night, you can see a whole constellation of organizations who are rising up and calling on others to rise up. And that ranges everything from Planned Parenthood and the National Women's Law Center, who did a major vigil yesterday, to groups like Move On and Indivisible uh, and, and others who had a rally last night. So I think it's a broad range of people. I think the Women's March um, has been doing a lot of work, too, to, to break through and what's at stake, too. But I don't think it's any one organization. I think that what you're seeing here is there is a broad outcry about how serious the threats are to our health care system, including pre-existing conditions and women's constitutional rights and limits on presidential power. I don't think it's any one puppeteer. I think it's the people actually rising up to say, enough, we cannot afford to have Brett Kavanaugh confirmed to the Supreme Court because it will hurt all of our families and our individual freedoms and rights. Do you think the Democrats are wrong to be focusing so much on the documents they didn't get and should focus more on uh, uh, women's issues, uh, reproductive rights, and kind of go with a stronger stronger game there? Because it, it does seem like Brett Kavanaugh really cares about women, and they've been talking about how much he promotes women uh, law clerks, and uh, he's doing a, an exceptional job. He's coaching his daughter's basketball team for seven years. He really uh, – how do you read that? So I think yesterday the senators were really focused on what they have had access to in terms of their ability to do their jobs and what the American people have not had access to. So I think yesterday you saw interruption after interruption and motions to postpone and a real fight about how this committee is being conducted because I think it was the beginning of the hearing and this has been such an unprecedented secretive process in terms of getting the American people to know what's in this nominee's record. And it certainly raises the question that you heard a lot yesterday about what are they hiding. Pivot to today, where it is questions being asked directly of the nominee. And today is where I see the difference between yesterday. Today is about asking Judge Kavanaugh about his views, about things he said in different contexts and how they inform what's at stake and, and where we think he will go if confirmed to the Supreme Court. So I think the difference between yesterday and today is it is still about what are they hiding in these documents, but it is more clearly today focused on what's at stake for the American people. And the the, the document piece, although it's a process objection, it, there really is this concern, and you saw this in Senator Leahy's questioning, that they are specifically hiding documents that would harm Brett Kavanaugh's ability to get confirmed. I can tell you that his line of questioning about whether he lied under oath the last time he was in front of this committee is a very serious vetting concern that senators on both sides of the aisle should really care about. I think we'll see it again when Senator Durbin starts his questioning after this lunch break. Christine Lucas is the Executive Vice President of Policy and Governmental Affairs at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. She's at the Kavanaugh hearings. Thanks a lot for joining us and calling in. We want to go to another caller. Um, Mary Kelly, you're on WBEZ. Uh, Good to talk to you today. Um, I just think this is a big game, and right now they know they're going to win. So unless we get something new out there, nothing's going to happen. All right, so I'm racking you up as the disillusionment camp. You're in the disillusionment camp. Oh, no, I'm like, we're playing a game. I want to win. we got to find something. And that something is the part of Roe v. Wade that says undue burden on women. 
women in so many states right now cannot get abortions without missing several days of work. And, of course, everything else they do. So what he says he knows all about it and it's all well and good, but what about those cases? Um, Dan Hamill, do you have some thoughts on how we approach Roe v. Wade in these hearings? Uh, I think it is a game that the Republicans are going to win in the short term. Uh, It is overwhelmingly likely that uh, Brett Kavanaugh will be confirmed by a narrow margin. I still think that today was uh, an important opportunity for Democrats to convey to the American people their view of the abortion debate. I think Dianne Feinstein, uh, the senator from California, did that quite effectively in her questioning of uh, Judge Kavanaugh. And I thought it was telling that uh, – Feinstein read a quote from Sandra Day O'Connor that emphasized that access to uh, abortion and reproductive care is important for a woman's ability to participate in society. Uh, And uh, Kavanaugh would only acknowledge that O'Connor had said that. He would not acknowledge the truth of her statement. So uh, it has been, uh, I'd say, a rhetorically powerful uh, effort by Democrats to underscore the importance of abortion rights. Last night, I curled up with a document from Demos, an equal rights think tank, and it had a lot to say about civil liberties and our nominee. And Allie Bolt is on the line. She's a counsel for Demos. And thanks for joining us, Allie. Thank you for having me. Um, could you tell us some of your concerns about the nominee? Uh, you, in your documents and in your objections to him, you cite a lot of cases where he's decided things that uh, people should probably know about. Yes, absolutely. So our Demos report, as you mentioned, looked at the nominee's record on racial equity and how he would affect the future of racial equity in the United States. And we really looked at a broad range of issues in the report because a broad range of issues are at play here in terms of not just discrimination, but also issues like mass incarceration, environmental justice, um, Native American rights. So the report is very comprehensive. And I will say there's not a single issue that we looked at in the report where Kavanaugh's record is not of concern to us. Um, Demo strongly opposes the nomination um, on, on, on racial equity grounds. And, you know, just to pick up on your last caller, I mean, I think one issue that has come to the fore has been reproductive health. And this is an area where his, his record is deeply troubling. You know, one of the things I was reading about in the report is is how he um, characterizes uh, certain issues as colorblind, and we have a, we should have a colorblind government. What do, what does that mean? Yeah, great question. So, you know, a lot of racial discrimination cases that come before the court don't necessarily involve bad actors with racist motives, but they do involve sort of challenges to policies or systems that produce racist outcomes, regardless of the intentions of individuals. So when people like Kavanaugh say that the law should be colorblind, um, which Kavanaugh has made statements like that, he's quoted Justice Scalia to say, we're all one race here, it's American. You know, that's a view that erases our history and our reality of white supremacy in this country. And it can also be a way to say that efforts to remedy that history are unacceptable. Um, So that really calls into question how he'd come down on things like affirmative action, for example. And he hasn't really been asked those questions yet. We hope that, you know, senators will ask these questions in the hearings. We think it's very important. And, there, you know, there is still a lot that we don't know from 
some of the documents that we haven't been able to review. Let's sneak in another phone call here. Mike is on WBEZ. Hi, how are you guys today? Good. Thanks for calling. Yeah, um, actually, um, Christine Lucas actually, actually kind of addressed, or at least was an example of some of the issues I had, which was um, the, the behavior by the protesters and the Democrats um, really being hyper-partisan about these, uh, these hearings. And first of all, uh, to kind of address what she said, there's really no First Amendment right to scream and interrupt a hearing. That's not a First Amendment right. That's called the heckler's veto, and I'm glad all those people got arrested because you do have a right to protest, but you don't have a right to scream at the top of your lungs and interrupt the, the Senate hearing. And um, just a lot of demagoguery on the part of the senators. Um, it's really just a uh, demagoguery. It's a tantrum. That what, what did you do? You think it's largely? Um, I mean, when it comes to the senators and their show yesterday about um, delaying the hearings, when they clearly were not going to win that, was that uh, that was just for show? Was that for show? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you knew they're not going to win. It's all. It's all a. It's all a plan. It's all a plot for them to try to make a, a big stink about things. And look it. Trump won the election. And like a famous Chicagoan once said who was in the White House, elections have consequences. So now it's their time to sit down and be quiet and let the president do what he needs to do. He nominated Kavanaugh. So viva la Kavanaugh, viva la right-wing conservative Supreme Court. Next time when the, the, the left gets their uh, president. Okay. Merrick, Merrick Garland, anyone? <laughs> I think Mike is Mike is right in his First Amendment analysis. I don't think that uh, spectators do have a First Amendment right uh, to speak during a confirmation hearing. Um, uh, elections do have consequences, uh, but uh, it is not a consequence of elections that the minority party in the Senate has to stay silent. So I actually thought what Senator Harris did yesterday uh, was was quite effective, um, trying to speak and then have Chuck Grassley talk over her uh, and silence the Democratic point of view. Um, Ali Bolt, I know you're still on the line. Do you have some thoughts about this at Demos? Yes. Uh, in terms of the First Amendment, I mean, just to bring it back to Kavanaugh's record on this. I think that we have a right to understand what Kavanaugh would bring to the table as a justice. And one of the things that we're concerned about is the way that he's interpreted the First Amendment to mean that money is speech and the way that he's consistently sided with um, business interests over the interests of everyday people and communities. And this really shows up in his money and politics record. You know, he's consistently sided with big money and interpreted the First Amendment to mean that, you know, folks have an, uh, um, the right to donate as, or to spend as much as they want on elections, including corporations. And he actually endorsed that view before the court did in Citizens United. So, you know, in terms of the First Amendment, I'd really like to see his First Amendment views prodded by senators and um, and that record really dug into in these hearings. Let's sneak in another phone call. Betty, you're on WBEZ. Thank you for taking my call. Brett Kavanaugh has been nominated by an unindicted co-conspirator who may have the power to pardon him for crimes. That's the number one thing. The second thing is that disproportionately, 
the people that are listening to this program are electronically connected, and they need to go to every single member of the uh, Judiciary Committee and demand that we get at least some of the 90% of Brett Kavanaugh's papers we don't have. We have only 10%, the least amount of any nominee in the history of the Supreme Court. Um, it was interesting moment uh, earlier in the hearings when Diane Feinstein asked Kavanaugh about uh, the situation with responding to a warrant. Here she is. So you, you can't give me an answer on whether a president has to respond to a st- subpoena from a court of law? As my, uh, there's, my understanding is that you're asking me to give my view on a potential hypothetical, and that's something that the every each of the eight justices currently sitting on the Supreme Court, when they're sitting in my seat, uh, declined to decide potential hypothetical cases. Not very satisfying, Betty? Not at all, because that's his way of skirting the fact that he will have the power, potentially, to pardon a criminal. Daniel Hamill? He was speaking out of both sides of his mouth there. On the one hand, he was refusing to say whether a president would uh, be required to respond to a subpoena. On the other hand, he said U.S. versus Nixon was one of the four greatest moments in Supreme Court history. And the holding of U.S. versus Nixon was that Nixon did, in fact, while president, have to produce uh, documents subject to a subpoena. We're talking about the Supreme Court hearings of Brett Kavanaugh with Daniel Hemmel from the University of Chicago. Ali Bolt from Demos is on the line with us, and we're taking a few phone calls. We probably got time for one more call. We'll be going back in a few minutes. Ellen, you're on WBEZ. Yes, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I, I, my concern is the Federalist Society. The fact is that he is a representative of the Federalist Society, as, as are the other right-wing people there, and all the ju- federal judges that are being appointed by the Trump. And that means that they're siding on for the corporate interests and for states' rights. They are dismantling the civil rights, the power of the Federalist gover- federal government to intervene and protect voting rights or environmental laws or uh, abortion laws, they, they're going to push everything to the state, and you end up with, like, Texas, where there's no abortion clinics at all. Yet that's the consistent pattern. This Federalist Society, starting with Bork and Scalia, you know, started in the 60s or 70s. They're going to dismantle uh, from the consumer, the citizen, and put in corporate but let me get a let me get a reaction. Um, Ali Bolt here on the line with us from Demos, and there was quite an interesting piece last night on the New York Times podcast um, about the history of the Federal Society and how this all came about. Um, what what did you what do you think about the Federal Society, Ali Bolt? Well, I would say that Kavanaugh's record really bears out his alignment with the Federalist Society, and I think the caller is absolutely right that. He has a he's consistently sided with corporate interests in a, in a broad slew of different types of cases. And I think one area that we really do see this is environmental justice. When Kavanaugh has ruled on issues that impact environmental justice issues, he's a lot more likely to take into account, for example, how those regulations are going to affect big companies and their profits. And he's less likely to take into account 
you know, the communities that are in the direct line of impact of, of climate change and big pollution. And, and those are predominantly communities of color. Um, Daniel, do you have some thoughts on that? I think the Federalist Society has emerged as an extraordinarily powerful organization in American legal thought and legal life in the last 30 years. It's also not a monolithic body. Uh, There are Federalist Society chapters on virtually every law school campus, and you'll uh, see a diverse uh, array of views, mostly on the right but not entirely on the right in the Federalist Society. I think it's also important to remember uh, that when Republicans control all three branches of the national government, federalism can be a powerful tool. Uh, for Democrats who control some state governments uh, to pursue a progressive agenda. Um, Ali, you were just mentioning the environmental record of Brett Kavanaugh, and he went to some pains today to paint himself as a guy who does side with environmental groups occasionally. And and, um, did, did that cut any water with you? Did that make a difference? Absolutely not. If you look at his record on environmental issues, it's cause for concern. And and that includes cases involving the EPA and whether to grant or deny, you know, permits or or different standards to regulate the quality of our air. But it has also showed up in other types of cases as well. Um, You know, in one case involving the Federal Communications Commission, um, which which was a matter of whether the FCC had any obligation to make sure that emergency alerts are broadcast in languages other than English. Kavanaugh sided with the FCC to say, no, they didn't really have any obligation to do that. And that opinion didn't even touch on the fact that, you know, people's lives were on the line. People lost their lives after Hurricane Katrina when those broadcasts for emergency alerts weren't broadcast in languages other than English. We're going to end on that note. We're hearing the gavel, and the, the, the hearings are coming together. Brett Kavanaugh, it would be the area of judicial nominations. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida. Thanks to Shazmin Hussein and Viviana Garcia-Blanco for production assistance. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.